Welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church. I'm really glad to see you guys. What do you think of that song? You think that one's a keeper? I think that one's a keeper. That is kind of the Apostles' Creed. Maybe if you grew up old school church, you'll remember that one. That one's been around a while. I am so happy to see each and every one of you here today, and, and uh, especially the folks here for the very first time. Very happy to see you guys. So, everybody who, who's been here who knows this, let's, let's let the world know, because remember, this goes out through the podcast all over the planet, and apparently someone's listened to us in Istanbul, Turkey right now. So, what's up? What's up, Istanbul? How's it going? <laughs> so, let's let, let the world know what we stand for. We have our motto here. Help me out. No matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. Before I forget, we are starting our Bible study pretty soon. It's uh, Colossians and Philemon, 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 that guy, that guy. Actually, I've heard it every, every different way, um, so that's going to be fun. You can sign up back here at this table. That's going to be on Wednesday nights, not this Wednesday, but the next Wednesday. Be sure to sign up so we can make sure there's a book, all right? It is my great pleasure today. To, to bring forward uh, Nick Dowdy, who is going to be speaking for us. Nick speaks for us several times a year, and um, always, always am so happy to have him. Come on up, Nick. You guys give Nick a warm welcome. <laughs> Nick's been a big part of what we've been doing here for a long time, and uh, I'm excited about it. All right, you good, man? As good as we can be. As good as it can be, Okay. I asked him how he's doing. He says, I'm a little nervous, but... As always. always Nick Nick will do a great job, so thank you, Nick. All right. Good morning, everyone. Here we are together on a nice Sunday morning. (gasps) Woo. (laughs) (laughs) Not everybody be so excited. Um, So... As Michael said, my name is Nick, and like I do in all my messages, I like to introduce myself in case you don't know me. So I, I am Nick Dowdy, I am a husband, a D&D player, and I love Star Wars. I am, also <laughs> I am also a follower of Christ who always comes up short when I do things in my own strength. Um, Michael had asked me to, he felt led, and then I felt led on this specific uh, scripture found in Mark uh, for me to speak on it today, and so I'm very thankful for this opportunity, um, and I'm hoping and praying, we're going to pray here in a second, that this message will find you where you're at and that it's going to uh, encourage you. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and pray real quick. Uh, Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and I just want to thank you for this opportunity. I want to thank you that You've given me a message to give to these people. Um, I ask that this message message will glorify you. I pray that you'll calm my nerves, (laughs) Um, that you'll help these words to have power, but only because they're yours. Um, I just surrender this time to you and ask that you'll be here and you'll be speaking to each of our hearts. And if there's anything in this message that does not need to stick, I pray that it'll fall away. And everything that does need to stick will find its way into our hearts and uh, not be missed. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. So, today we are going to be, dis- be discussing something that's 
pretty familiar to everyone who's been a Christian for a little bit, but can sometimes lose the power of the reality of what it is, and it's being a part of the family of God, right? Um, This scripture that we're going to be reading in is found in Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. So if you want to follow along, go ahead and turn there now. So I'm going to read this scripture, and then we're going to dive in, okay? So the scripture says, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at those who sat around him, and looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So just a little context here. Um, This scripture is Jesus has been going around claiming that he's the Messiah. People are starting to follow him and his family is like, oh goodness, people think he's crazy. Let's get him out of here. He doesn't need to be out doing this. So that, that is why they are coming to get him. They're trying to get him out of the public eye because people think he's crazy. He's claiming that he's the Messiah, um, doing all of these things in the name of God. And so they were embarrassed. And so Jesus, Jesus's response to this, I find is very interesting because he then goes and says, well, who is my family? And he says, those who do the will of God are my brothers, sisters. And he even says mothers. Um, so Jesus makes it very clear here, and it wasn't clear to them then, but it's clear to us now that doing the will of God is what brings you in to the family of God, right? Is that, is that clear enough? Well, maybe it's not. Um, so who gets to be in the family of God? Anyone who does the will of God. Jesus' words are for for whoever does the will of God. So this is an open invitation to anyone and everyone. The only criteria that we have to meet is that we do the will of God. Cool. So logically, the next question we have to ask is, what does it mean to do the will of God? (laughs) Because that's a pretty open-ended question, depending on who you ask, right? Um, There's been some people in history that have decided that doing the will of God is taking up God's name and going and claiming land for their country and going to war. And there's people that have claimed that the will of God is to gather a bunch of people and go to a place called Jonestown. Not everybody's interpretation of what the will of God is accurate, could we say, right? So what does it actually mean to do the will of God? If we were to go and poll people at random, you know, not, not everyone is trying to take people to Jonestown. Praise the Lord. Um, but if we were to go out and do a survey and poll people at random, right, I believe that most would equate this to being a good and kind person and helping people when you can. Is that fair enough? If you were to ask the random, uh, a random person on the street, anywhere in this country, anywhere in the world, what is the will of God, they would most likely tell you, be a good person, be kind, you know, help people where you can. That, that's, that seems like the will of God, right? And so if it was this simple, then almost 
all people in the world could or would argue that they are a part of God's family, which contradicts what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us, uh, and Christ tells us specifically, these are his words, he tells us that narrow is the way that leads to life and fewer those who find it. And so if it's as simple as doing, if, if doing the will of God is as simple as being a good person, then what Christ is saying makes no sense because most everyone in the world could argue that they are a good person because they try, right? We all try, or at least we want to act like we do. Um, but Christ tells us that narrow is the way that leads to life and fewer those who find it. So I would like to propose that doing the will of God here is not simply trying to be a good person because no person is capable of being good on their own. What Jesus is speaking of here is the act of accepting him, accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. It is the will and desire of God that all people should come to repentance and be saved. If you don't believe me, I have scripture. I can give that to you later because some people don't think that's true. It is true. It's plainly stated in the Bible a couple of times, actually. Um, so the will of God, looking back, in, in this moment when Jesus is telling this to these people, they, Jesus was alive. Jesus hadn't died. It, it didn't make sense. But looking back, we can tell that this is what it means to be doing the will of God, to be a part of his family, right? It is God's will that everyone come to repentance and be saved and accept Christ as your Savior. So this is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the gospel. Yay. Woohoo! Yeah, good news, right? Um, <laughs> so this is where I also want to pause for a second, okay? So... If you heard me say we're going to talk about the gospel and you sort of tuned out because you've heard it a thousand times, then pause, pause for a second, tune back in, hear me right now, okay? Normally, a message like this would end up looking like the preacher telling you how much God loves you and how much he wants you and how worthy you are and, you know, you need, please accept Christ, please come, come and accept Christ. And these things are true. These things are true, but it's not the full gospel. It's not. It, it is the parts that we like to highlight because it's the parts that make us feel good, right? And so what God has pressed me with, and I will tell you up front, I have felt very uncomfortable giving this message because I've never given a message of this type before, um, to go and highlight the parts that aren't so feel good of the gospel, the message of the gospel. Um, sometimes when people give the message of the gospel, it turns into the preacher almost begging you to give Jesus a chance, right? Like he's, he's pleading with you. It's almost like he can be on all of his knees, like, please just, just give Jesus a chance. Like if you only would, your life would change and it would be so much better. And yes, it's true. It is true that if you give your life to Jesus, it will be better. It won't be easier, but it will be better, right? But what this, in my eyes, turns the gospel into, it gets morphed into a salesman pitch to try to get you to buy in and then come back next week, 
right? Does that make sense? Maybe a little hard to digest. It was for me too. So there's this popular theme that I'm referencing here that is found in forms of Christianity. And in America, not just America, but all over the world, there's this theme in forms of Christianity that has turned the gospel into what God can do for you, what you are going to get from God, right? What, how do I benefit from this? We live in a world that is so consumer mindset. It ha- we have such a consumer mindset. We have this mentality of, what do I benefit from this? And if I don't benefit anything from this, then, I don't, then I'm not going to waste my time on it right? Like, we have all of these options, especially in America, of convenience, you know? <laughs> if, if I don't want McDonald's, I'm going to go to Wendy's tonight instead. If I, if I don't want Wendy's, then I'm going to go here. If, if I don't want this, there's always another option to meet what I am wanting in that moment, right? To get to that next thing, there's just, there's options upon options upon options, and so it even gets to the point where we have to ask ourselves, are we treating Jesus as like a self-help? Are we treating the Bible as a self-help type like topic? Or are we treating it as a need that we have because we're broken people and we have no other option but to go to Christ because nothing else will fix it? Christ is not a self-help option. It's not. But there have been forms of Christianity that have turned the gospel into this. And I am guilty of preaching and believing this gospel. I will tell you up front and first, I have uh, been the one to ignore the other side of the gospel because it's, easy, it's not as easy to digest as God loves you, God wants you, you're worthy. And so I also want to preface this before we go any further. I am not here to preach uh, hellfire and brimstone, okay? I'm not... I'm not here to beat you over the head, but I am here because this is truth, and it it is. It's needed, it's perspective, and what I want from this is a healthy dose of perspective for us who are believers, because it's so easy to forget where we come from and what God has done for us and treat this like a self-help book, right? Cool. (laughs) So, the Lord has led me to share the less popular parts of the gospel, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and list a few right now. And these are just matter-of-fact statements, okay? Anyone who has not accepted Christ as their Savior is an enemy of God and will spend eternity in torment if they do not repent. Anyone who does not lay down their sin will remain broken in it and far from God. We are helpless and incapable of finding our way back to God's family on our own. And we are powerless over sin. These truths applied to each and every one of us who have accepted Christ as our Savior, before we accepted Christ as our Savior. We are all sinners and enemies of God before accepting Christ as our Lord. And so... If these words sting, if they don't sit right with you, or they cut away at your confidence, I propose to you that your security is built on something other than Christ's sacrifice and mercy. 
I'm going to say that one more time for you guys. If these words sting or don't sit right with you or cut away at your confidence, I propose to you that your security is built on something other than Christ's sacrifice and mercy. And I can say that as a matter of fact because it cut away at my confidence. <laughs> um, it's so easy as believers and humans to build up a projection of ourselves in our minds that makes us more than we actually are. And so, again, the, the whole point of this is a healthy dose of perspective. So if these truths are, these are truths that are attached to the gospel of Christ, and if we ignore them, we produce puffed up and self-righteous Christians. And at the core of all of this, I believe these truths make us uncomfortable because we have zero power to change them on our own. We as humans have a bad habit of becoming wise in our own eyes and thinking we can conjure up a solution to any problem that comes our way. And this is a problem that we have no power or ability to work around. We, we can't come up with the right words. We can't come up with the right amount of good deeds. There's nothing that changes this reality that we can produce in and of ourselves, right? So these truths humble every human on this earth. No matter what your job is, how much money you make a year, the house that you live in, the car that you drive, the friend group that you hang out with, the hobbies that you play, whatever it is, all of these things humble us because no matter how self-sufficient you think you are, you are in desperate need of a Savior. It's not a convenience thing. It's not a self-help thing. You are in desperate need of a Savior. Every single human on this earth is in desperate need of a Savior because there is nothing that we can do on our own to fix it. Nothing. So Christ's sacrifice came to us while we were still his enemies. And so here, here's, here's the other part of this, right? This is meant to be a healthy dose of perspective, but it's also meant to be an encouragement because look at how much God loves you, that he died for you while you were still his enemy and he, you had nothing to offer him. You still, we still have nothing to offer him, but we had even less when we were his, when we were his enemies. We were in the enemy camp and he still died for us. He said, I love this group of people this much, and I'm still going to die for them. So I, I would like to read you all a scripture that uh, speaks to this truth, and it's or two scriptures. One is Romans 5, 8, and it says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Both of these scriptures here point and tell us that God died for us when we had nothing, when we were his enemies, when we were sinners, when we would not even give him the time of day he chose to die for us because that's how much he loves us, right? But again, 
Let's not lose sight of the fact that we were his enemies. Okay? It's a, it's a very humbling thing. It humbles me every time I think about it. Another scripture that I would like to read to you all. This, this one is found in 1 John 8. Or it's found in 1 John. I didn't put the chapter down. Oh, 1 John's just one chapter, never mind. Then it's, is it not? So 1 John 1, chapter 1, verse 8, okay? This scripture tells us, um, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And uh, verse 10 says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. I put this scripture here to say, and to reference back to how I mentioned we can sometimes make this projection in our head of we're an okay person or we're a good person. The Bible tells us otherwise. (laughs) The Bible tells us that if you say you don't have sin in your life, you're lying. You're deceiving yourself. You're not being truthful. There's not one person in this room. There's not one person in the town of Hillsville. There's not one person in this uh, country of the United States or in this world who does not have sin in their life. Not one person. And so if we, if we live in this fantasy world, this projection of ourself that we make to make ourselves feel better and we act like we don't have sin and we don't get real about it, then we don't have a need for a Savior. If we're deceiving ourselves and telling ourselves that we don't have sin in our life, then we don't have something pushing us toward the Lord out of desperation because there is nothing that we can do to get rid of that sin in our life besides go to Christ. The next scripture that I would like to read to you all regarding sin, I know this is, this is a lot of fun. Um, James 2.10 reads, For whoever keeps the whole law, law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of it all. I'm going to read that again. For whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of it all. I believe the Lord led me to share the scripture with you all in this context because not one person on this earth's hands are clean and no one person's hands are cleaner than the next. Okay? We have this tendency to rate which sins are worse than others. What does the Bible tell us here? The Bible tells us that if you failed in one area of not upholding the law, you were guilty of all of them. How does that sit with us? How does that sit with us when we're condemning a certain group because of the way they choose to live or because of the acts that they've done? The Bible tells us we're guilty of it too because we've committed this sin. Tumbling. So again, not one person on this earth's hands are clean and no one person's hands are dirtier than the next. Sin has put us all on even ground. We are all broken people. (laughs) As people, like I said, we have ranked sins, at least to some degree. We usually rank sins that send us to prison as the worst possible sins, but what about lying? What about coveting? What about 
lust that only plays around in your head, right? Those aren't that bad, right? According to the scripture, they are. According to the scripture, if you've committed one of those sins, you've committed the rest of them as well. God doesn't have a sliding scale of sin where if you've murdered someone, you're too far gone, but you get a slap on the wrist if you have lied. All sins equally condemn us as enemies of Christ. We are no more righteous than the person who has committed the sins that we consider to be the worst. We are all in desperate need of a Savior. You, me, we are all people who have been broken by sin and became enemies of God. So, who here is feeling encouraged? <laughs> Who's ready to take on the week, right? Yeah, I'm an enemy of God. Or I, yeah. <laughs> um, again, I just I want to point out, I, I'm not sharing this in an attempt to make you feel defeated or to guilt you into accepting Christ or or to, you know, convince you that you're this awful, 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 awful person. I believe the Lord has led me to share this so we can all have this perspective. We take power and truth away from the gospel when we turn it into a self-help message. when we take away the fact that it's not just because God loves us that we need to accept Christ, when we take away the fact that we can do nothing outside of him, we're, we're cheating him. We're cheating him of the sacrifice that he made and the reality of it in our life. So the fact of the matter is, is you have been chosen and you are loved. Let's, let's get... Let's, yeah, woo! Let's, let's get to the part where we're not just talking about how we were enemies. The fact of the matter is, is you have been chosen and you are loved, but not because you are just so lovable. It's because of the goodness of God. It is because God is good and that is who he is and he cannot not be himself. He cannot deny himself and he is love and he is faithful and he has chosen you despite yourself. So we're wrapping things up here. Um, you may get out here a little early. You're welcome. Uh, or you can thank the Lord. Um, Don't get used to it. <laughs> so to go ahead and wrap things up, I want to share some more scriptures with you regarding God's family, because if you remember, that's where we started with all of this um, and how you become a part of God's family, right? And we've been talking about the gospel. We've talked about how we as humans have a desperate need for Christ, not just because he loves us and because he'll make our life better, but because without him, we're condemned because we're broken and because sin has left us broken and not one person on this world is without sin, right? So we, none of us can deny our need for it. It's something that every single person has to look dead in the face and say, you're right, I'm broken, I need Jesus, or you turn away and say, I don't believe that, I'm fine. I'm going to take my chances. At you, everybody has to make that choice at one point in their life. And so if you've not made that choice, 
I'm going to tell you how you can accept Christ now, because that's a part of the gospel, right? Um, because you are chosen, you are loved, and it's not just, you know, bad, 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 you know, like, look at, look at all the sin in your life. Christ has made a way for you back into the family of God. Um, and so this first scripture we're going to read uh, applies to anyone here who would like to accept Christ as your Savior. So if, if you are interested in that, if the Holy Spirit is pressing upon your heart, please listen. Uh, Romans ten nine through 11 reads, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'm going to read that, that scripture again. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scriptures say, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. That is the good news of the gospel. Despite the fact that you are an enemy of God, that you are a sinner, he has still offered a way for you into his family. And all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is Lord. This is the good news of the gospel. That, that's exactly what I just said. Never mind. Um, so, <laughs> it is. It's the good news. You can't talk about it enough, right? Um, so to those of you who are already believers, I, I want to read these following scriptures to you, okay? Uh, this is found in John chapter 15. It's verses 14 through 16. Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the, servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I choose you. And appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in the fa- so whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. You have been called friends of Christ. You went from enemies to friends. But I also, in, in mine right here, it's not up there. I have highlighted at verse sixteen. Jesus says, "You did not choose me." He said, you did not choose me, but I choose you and appointed you. Again, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I choose you and I appointed you. The whole point of this message is one, to present the gospel and the full truth, but two, for us to have a healthy dose of perspective as believers in the fact that outside of Christ, we have nothing nothing. He chose you. Every blessing you have in your life is because of him. There's no way for us to conjure it up ourselves. It is only because Christ chooses us. You are friends of friends with Christ, not just servants, but friends. You were chosen and appointed by Christ. You were chosen by Christ while you were still an enemy. You were loved by Christ while you still opposed him. 
So even when we fail to choose Christ, he has chosen you. Your merit did not earn him choosing you, but his goodness did. Your merit may change, but his goodness does not. And the last scripture that I want to share with everyone is found in 1 John chapter 1, uh, verse 9. And it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Earlier we read scripture, 1 John 1, 8 and 10, and I skipped 9 because I wanted it down here instead of up there. First, if you don't remember, 1 John 1, 8 and 10 said, everybody has sin in their life, and if you say you don't, you're lying. And then that's a sin. Um, but 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, Jesus is faithful to forgive you of them and cleanse you of that unrighteousness because that's who he is. So everybody in this room has a choice. We all have a choice. We have a choice to acknowledge the fact that without Christ we have nothing or to continue to live in this projection and lie that we tell ourselves that we are self-sufficient without him. If you try to be self-sufficient without Christ, trust me, your world's going to fall apart. It is going to crumble in on itself. That foundation will not last, I promise you. Been there, done that. <laughs> um, so if you find yourself crushed under the weight of your sin today, please confess it to Christ and to a fellow Christian. Please. It also tells us in James that uh, I'm going to butcher it now because I didn't write it down. But James tells us that when we confess our sin to a fellow believer, that healing comes, right? So please don't walk around with the weight of your sin on your shoulders today. You have people in this room that will sit down, talk with you, care about you, love you. And you have a God that loves you as well. You don't have to walk out of here under the weight of your sin today. So this is something that we've not really done before. Um, it's the last thing that we're going to do. Um, this, I have a song that I would like to share with you. I'm not singing. You're welcome. It, it's, not, it's not that kind of thing, okay? Um, but there's this song called Adonai by an artist called Chris Rinzema. Um, and in case you were unfamiliar with the word Adonai and what it means, like I was, and I googled it. Uh, I'm going to tell you what that means. It, it is another name for God from the Old Testament. Um, and when they would use, when they would call out to God saying Adonai, they were calling him our master, and they were referencing to themselves as his servants, and more accurately, his slaves. Okay, so this is a, this name is a name of reverence. This name is a name that refers to God as who he is, right? Um, and so that's all I have for you guys. I've never, I haven't really closed a message like this, so I'm going to be a little awkward in doing this. Um, I hope and I pray that this message has found you where you're at and that what needs to stick has stuck and what needs to fall away will. I trust that the Lord is going to do that, and I hope that this has not left you feeling defeated, but it's left you 
seeing your spot in the family of God is something to be utterly thankful for. So thank you guys. Well, we're going to play this song. My first time hearing that song, Nick. That's good. Nothing to bring, nothing to bring, nothing to bring. We're empty handed in front of God. There's nothing we can say. Hey, look, look what we've done. Look at this. Lord, look, look what I have to give you. Now you give me what I want. That's man. That's good stuff, Nick. That was awesome. That was amazing. Thank you guys for being a part of this today. God bless you all. We'll be back in Mark chapter four. If you want to read ahead for next week, that's where we're going to be. But uh, thank you for being a part of this. You're an answer to prayer. You know, I prayed this morning and all the time. Lord, bring everyone who's supposed to be here on Sunday morning. So you are the answer to prayer. Now, you knew that the people who live with you, they know that you're just an answer to prayer. They know that. They tell you all the time, I'm sure. I'm to Diane tells Duncan every day, you're just the man of God I prayed for all my life. But I just want to know you. You guys are you guys are here. I love you don't have to laugh that hard, Diane. That's uh that hurt my feelings a little bit, you know. <laughs> God bless you all again. Thank you so much. Um I'm gonna turn you loose now. Have a great day. <laughs>